I was just reflecting back there that I didn't have my microphone on me. I mean, I could use this one, but we usually record off the one I've got right now, the lapel mic. Now I have both hands to preach with. I need both hands. Amen. Did you feel the presence of God this morning? I did. I felt it. You know the Lord ministers to hungry hearts, doesn't He? This has been a powerful service already. I've been so blessed. You know, there's something we catch in the presence of God. The Spirit of God reveals things to us through His power. I get excited about preaching when I feel like the Holy Spirit is moving because I know that James is going to get a little bit more out of the way and God's going to get in the way and He's going to do some things in it. So how many of you want me to preach this morning? How many of you want me to preach this morning? I just want to make sure. You know, we're going to make you a shouting church yet. We got, we're going to make it happen. We might here be here a little bit longer today until we get it to happen. There we go. Amen. So we got, uh, let's look back into Jonah. This message this morning is, Obedience emerges from the belly of a fish. I could have said a whale, but I'm just going to go with what it says right here in the Bible. So go ahead and turn in Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to look at the last few verses of chapter 1, and then we're going to go on to chapter 2. Praise you, Jesus. Man, I'm excited. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord. These are the the men that were on the ship. Please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Father, thank you for the privilege. Lord, the awesome privilege it is to be a mouthpiece. Lord, all I really want this morning is your heart to be conveyed. All I want is for the Holy Spirit to speak the things that he wants to say. And I do not know how you can take a human vessel, a finite man, Lord, a human being, and do this work in us. But God, would you just elevate through me and give me the anointing and the anointing upon this congregation to receive what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. God, I praise you for the inspiration in the moment. Things that are not on this page or written in my notes, but Lord, are going to be the inspiration of the sermon. And today, God, I believe. Today, I believe you want to reach into our hearts Lord, we're not just to be hearers of the Word only, but we're to hear it and we're to do it. And so God, put this in an active sense into our life. Lord, where it needs to breed repentance, Lord, and conviction. I pray for conviction and repentance. Lord, for that confirmation that some need. And Lord, that step of encouragement to obedience and hope. In the name of Jesus, I pray for. But Lord, let not this Word fall on our hearts in vain. But Lord, let it seep into our hearts and produce fruit. And we will give you all the praise. Lord, what an awesome time to be together. Lord, what a blessing it is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Something that I caught in this verse, this, these first few verses is this. The first thing they did was they cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. You know, I hear, I feel like sometimes God is just ushering us in to not, it's, it's not that it's, he's just needing a cry. There's something inside of us that until we get to the place where we're longing and hungering for something from God, we miss what God has for us. 
And so God just wants to get His people a little bit more to where they're urgent on seeing it. And I feel like there's a time in our lives where there's an old song that says, I would not be denied. I would not be denied. And I think that that's the kind of song, the attitude we need is, Lord, You said in Your Word, and I'm not living on my word, and I'm not basing it on my authority, and I'm not saying it based... But I'm crying this out because this is your word. And I believe it and I stand on it and I'm not going to go any other way. You know, today while we were praying, I just felt like the Holy Spirit ministered to my heart. That why are you tolerating something that doesn't have its right based on the resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus Christ gave us liberty to believe. To believe things that were impossible for man and believe that they were possible for God. All of us are called upon to believe God as He reveals Himself and wants us to believe. But these men begin to cry out to the Lord. And you know what you'll find interesting is when you first started reading in the first chapter of Jonah, they were crying out to their own gods. And sometimes I think crying out to your own God is we still use the name of Jesus. But we don't look at Jesus the way Jesus is. We don't view God's character as God's character. We've got an un... We've got an unbiblical bias in the way we pray to Jesus. And and sometimes that can be the way we cry out to our own gods. But now they're praying out to the Lord. You notice how God works the circumstances and situations to awaken people to call out to Him. We are so sleepy and we get so lethargic and careless when life is happy and it's easy. But when things become difficult, all of a sudden even the most... The worst kind of soul, the most ungodly person will begin to pray out to God. They recognize that God does what pleases Him. If you'll notice that in here in uh, what verse was that in? In verse 14, it says, And Lord, O Lord, just at the end, You have done as it pleased You. You have done as it pleased you. The greatest controversy today, listen to me, one of the greatest controversies of today is how much man wants God to do things our way. And we are struggling desperately because we keep praying it. The motivation, if it's nothing else, it's at least the motivation. God, do this for my sake. Do this because I want it for me. Do it because... This would make me happy. This would relieve me of misery. But there's a time and a point which God has to reduce this back down to His glory. And God, this is about you. And this is recognizing that we're under the sovereign will of God. And even Jonah was struggling with this because I was having a conversation with a few brothers. I had quite a few brothers this week. But one of the conversations that I had with one, uh, with one of my brothers was, we were beginning to analyze, was, was Jonah really in an attitude of hatred over the Assyrian people? And maybe. But, there wasn't a, but one thing we did know is this, he was in an attitude about the justice of God. I want to see justice. And I realized God was, it was, it was a sense, we begin to take this other avenue and think about, what if this wasn't about hatred? What if this was about, I can't live without thinking about how much I want to see God get the justice He deserves. Not the justice Jonah deserves, but the idea God deserves justice. We have to realize something. 
our salvation is in a reversal of justice. God has saved me. God washed me with His blood. Not because I was a good man. It was because I was a sinful man. And I needed the blood of Jesus to cleanse me of my wretched wickedness. If justice were given to me, I would go to hell. I would say James Hamilton was a hell-deserving sinner. I deserved it. I deserved the justice and wrath of a good God. A God who sees justly how to deal with sin. And mercy is a whole other thing. As I think about this, I wonder if Jonah was married to the mercy of God, I mean to the justice of God. If you let these people go, Lord, if you give them an opportunity of mercy, they'll just throw it back in your face. They'll just redo the same, same crimes of evil that they've done over and over again. And you hear it in the hint of his prayer and we'll get there. But there's a controversy of God doing things his way. And as we talked about this, one of the things that came to me is God told Moses, he says, Moses, leave me alone. I'm going to go and destroy these people. And Moses could have done what Jonah did. And he said, God, you're just. And I agree with your ways. Do what is in your will. And he could have done that. But he didn't. And Moses stood before God and he said, God. And he told God to repent. And why? Because he knew the character of God was married to his mercy within his virtues. And Moses prayed with all of his heart. And he said, you can't do this. You can't do this. And now all the Egyptians in the world would say, the God who goes to deliver His people couldn't finish and deliver them. And he, they caused Him to perish in the wilderness. But Moses could have just as well said, God, You are just. And they deserve this punishment. And they deserve the wrath of a good God. But he didn't. But Jonah did. Jonah was like, they deserve this wrath. You don't, you don't, Lord, in your holiness, you don't deserve to be treated the way sinners treat you. You don't deserve the way. And I think ultimately, brothers and sisters, we've got to see the justice. That we all deserve the wrath of God. Every sinner deserves it. But God in His great mercy. You'll never get the picture of mercy until you see the justice behind it. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, he says, For my thoughts. I'm supposed this. Raise your hand if it gets too loud for you. We'll have the guy in the back begin to turn it down. When he turns me down and there's no more left in the sound, then you're going to just have to live with my voice. I get excited about it. I feel like this, there's something exciting about when the Holy Spirit is just ushering something into your heart. We got the ameners out there. We're all good for that. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is conveying to us. See, on our finite level, there's so much that we don't understand, isn't there? But there's something about the infiniteness about the heart of God. Isn't it beautiful when God reveals His heart to you? Because when you understand His heart, there's things, it's like, Lord, I'm acquainted with your ways through your heart. As we get closer and we capture God's heart in our life, 
I want to give you a third point that I see in these verses. And in the last part, I think it's verse 16. And it says, And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifices to the Lord and took vows. If you'll remember uh, Sunday or two ago in preaching on, on Jonah, that they were fearful for their own lives. But notice the change in fear, the object of fear at this point. As they stopped fearing for their own lives and they started fearing the Lord. Started fearing the Lord. The Bible tells us that we need to fear God. We need to fear the Lord. Do not fear Him that can cast the body, just can kill the body, but fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear the Lord. Now this is a powerful thought because when we understand what the fear of God does in us, it cleanses us, it purifies us. It gets the heart molded and shaped to the will of God. You can't honestly, you can't honestly say, Lord, give me your will exclusively your will and not fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord drives you to obey the will of God even when your emotions and your feelings are contradictory to it. We have too many Christians that are basing their walk with God based on their feelings. And they call it faith. Because this is what we do. We avoid the issues by faithing over the top of them. If you can hear what I'm saying. I know I keep falling short of the grace of God and the glory of God. You know, there's something far different when you've been in the presence of the glory of God. When you've been in the presence of the living God. And what He does to alter your heart and the feeling that His holiness is so vivid and real to you. You don't want to sin. You don't want to compromise your life. You don't want to watch things that are of the world. There's something about that that draws you into the presence of God. So they stopped fearing for their own lives and started fearing the Lord. This was salvation. The sea ceased from its raging. God is still trying to restore the prophet and he's saving men right behind him. In his conflict and his struggle and God dealing with him and bringing trials on his life, these men are coming to God. So don't think God can't use your trials to bring somebody else to Jesus. Don't think that it's your joy that always reaches men's hearts. Sometimes it's the struggle you go through as you stand before God. The power of God immediately changed the way they related to God. See, when they threw him in the sea, it stopped. It stopped. It's raging. Now, it doesn't tell us it immediately stopped, but it stopped. And then the moment it stopped, they begin to fear the Lord. And they offered sacrifices and made vows to God. So there's something that changes us when we've been in the raw power of God. You watch somebody get a miracle from heaven and you know it's a miracle when you've had a miracle from God. That changes your perspective. And so I can only imagine as they watch it and they're like, I don't know if this, they tried to keep from throwing him into the sea because this was endangering their lives while they were on the boat. And while they're on a ship, this is going to kill us. How much more is it going to kill him when we throw him in the water? But they throw him in the water. I'm sure struggling and doubting whether this was the act of God or not. And then when it ceased, and they saw the miracle of the water cease, it's raging, then that changed their perspective of God. And I think it's important that we realize 
in the development of circumstances and situations around their life, it's really important for us to realize that God, when He calms the storms in life, He changes. It's not that He changed His identity. He changed the way you view His identity. And it's so important that we don't get to the place where we're like, Lord, I don't want storms. I don't want struggles. I don't want to deal with hardships. I don't want to have anything in my life. I don't want any issues. One, you're not going to get it. It's not going to work that way. It just doesn't. But the other one is, is because God feeds Himself into those situations. And He redeems you out of them over and over again. The Psalms are so sweet because it looks like a man who's constantly under the pressure and threat of his life, ready to lose his life in danger, danger, danger. And yet being saved out of danger. Being removed from that danger. So the complexity of God's nature could be revealed to him in the middle of that. So careful when you say, Lord, don't, take, don't put me through trials. But pray, Lord, feed me who you are in the middle of those trials. Please, God, let me know you. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. It's interesting because the men feared the Lord the, the, and then they, the sea ceased from its raging. And you know, I wonder what Jonah thought at that moment. What happens at that moment? And this isn't over for Jonah. This isn't done yet for him. And it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, is God from the fish's belly. I remember Joseph shared something with the men while we were, and he talked about all the different points from Jonah chapter 1 to Jonah chapter 4, where he says, the Lord prepared, the Lord prepared, the Lord prepared, the Lord did, and the sovereignty of God over the situation taking place. And see, that's supposed to be our comfort, but it's also supposed to be our conviction at the same time. But it said the Lord prepared a great fish, a whale, to swallow Jonah. And he swallowed him. Whole. <laughs> didn't chew him up. Didn't spit him out. Just kept him right there in the belly. <laughs> right? <laughs> I wonder what is the supernatural behind all of this. So this I want to say is God knows how to get us to pray. Let me ask you the question this morning. How's your prayer life? I hear a lot of times, I hear a lot of times people saying, I'm not really praying that much. Don't have much of a devotional life. But sometimes you might look back and maybe you're sitting in the belly of a fish and you're like, maybe I'm having hard circumstances. Maybe the difficulty of which I'm the circumstances of my life are based on the fact that I am not giving God my life and I'm not surrendering it to Him. God knows how to get us to pray. Jonah was prayerless up to this point. They were trying to get him to pray, but now he's praying. Now he's finally got to that place. And I want to say this. I wonder, this, this question is my mind, I wonder had Jonah been willing to pray sooner had he been able to defeat or get away from some of the struggles, the struggles of his life. Maybe he wouldn't have had to go through this situation had he learned to yield to God sooner. There's a song, I love the song, it's an old hymn, but it says... Oh, what peace we often forfeit and what needless pains we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Isn't that a wonderful? What needless pains I bear. What struggles I deal with in life because I didn't surrender it to God, that I didn't even take it to the Lord in prayer. Your fish's belly is a place where you sort things out with God. 
You don't play mind games with yourself here. You don't flounder in emotional manipulation over your own heart issues. See, God has a way of hemming us in so that we, where we don't have any more of using our emotions to tell us, oh, I'm going to fail. Or emotional, call us back into depression rather than into the presence of God. I keep failing, Lord. I guess I'm going to always be a failure. You're going to get a place where you have to get into the presence of God, where you're going to be standing before the Lord, where the trials of your life and where God is in the midst of that moment with you, where you quit doing that. And you have to quit doing it because God is trying to speak His will to you and you're not hearing it through the wall of depression and emotional bondage. And you're not letting the Lord speak to you in the midst of it. So God wants to speak to you. But you've got to give up the idolatry of selfish emotion. And listen to the Lord in the middle of it. Oh, you hear it in Elijah's prayer as he's praying and he's angry and he's frustrated because after he saw the 450 prophets of Baal destroyed and God come down like fire, he came into a place of depression in his life and he said, oh, that my life, I just must die now. And he was praying for death. And God didn't give him death. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that God spoke His Word. And there's something. You want to break through the power of depression. Just get a word from the Lord. A word from the Lord. And it changes things. It may be a convicting word of the Lord. It may be a self-revelation word of the Lord. But it convicts you and puts you. I want to share with you just one of my stories I remember. No, I'm going to skip over that. I already passed it, so I'm going to keep on going. God uses the fish to get you out of your funk. <laughs> God uses the fish to get you out of your funk. Uh, how many of us get there? We've been there, right? We get in our funk. But how many of you stay there? Come on. How many of us stay in that funk? Man, and we can call it whatever we want, but I think that's a good way to say it. That word was introduced to me, and I deserve that word. <laughs> I deserve to have the word over my life. There's times I have. And I remember my wife saying, it just looks like you're just going to stay at times. And she was right. It was like I was going to camp right in my own funk. <laughs> Not really. Not really. But how, how is it that our emotions deceive us to stay in the thing that's destroying us? And let's look at verses 2 through 9. I want to capture some of these, um, these thoughts in his prayer. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, um, so verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Huh. Well, I wonder if you put that in perspective. He's in the belly of the whale. And he says the Lord delivered him from his affliction. Doesn't he need deliverance? Isn't that what he's needing right now? But he's not quite getting that deliverance. And what he's going back on, and if you'll notice, as we read through this prayer, he's praying about his deliverance from the water or the sea. He's accepting and glorifying God from the deliverance already given. How many of you get in a trial and forget to honor God in the deliverance from the last one He gave you. What about the last one you had? You want God to deliver you from this one and you didn't even thank Him for the last one. Maybe that's the reason you need to be in this one a little bit longer. The trials of our faith being much more precious than gold 
though they be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and the glory of his appearance. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. This is the only verse at the moment that gives me the feeling that he's talking about the whale or the fish. Now verse 3, for you cast me. Let me read this. Let me look at this real quick. I just don't want to lose my place. So in the belly of the fish, Jonah is not ending his conflict with God. The conflict is still there. If you read through the rest of the chapter, he's still angry at the idea that these people would get mercy, even after they get it. He's not ending his conflict with God about his mercy, even though he recognizes the mercy showed to him. That's the thing that captures my, my mind in this whole thing. Jonah, throughout this whole story, talks about how God delivered him from affliction. God's mercy was shown to him, and yet he didn't feel like he could have it exercised to them. And I think there's reason for it, but anyway, it's something to notice there. It's sometimes that what we don't do is pay attention to, man, you know, I'm yet to find somebody who tells me, you know what, it wasn't God that took me out of my struggle of life, it was me. I was the one that did it. I think what people, and if they ever get that proud, they're just missing the fact that God was in it. But here's something. When God has been merciful to you, shouldn't you offer the same kind of attitude toward others? But so-and-so sins and cusses. So did I. (laughs) So-and-so uses God's name in vain. So did I. So-and-so had issues with uh, sexual perversion in their life. So did I, right? So... We all had some of those same things, but we bestow mercy not just because we need it, but because we've received it. He said, I cried unto the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, and I heard, and you heard my voice. Jonah 2 2. For you cast me, in verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. And all your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I'm going to come back to that verse. Yet again, I will look again to your temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul, and the deep closed around me, and weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, and the earth and its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up and my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Hear what he's saying. When I was in struggle When my soul fainted, I remembered the Lord. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. It's the one piece of this. It's like, why did you just plant that right in the middle? And then he goes back to where he's starting. He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pray what I have vowed. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. I want you to go back to that verse and... I think it's verse 4. It says, And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look 
again toward your holy temple. I will look again to your holy temple. I want you to think about looking again this morning. I want you to think about in your life, whatever it is in your life, look one more time. Take a second look. Repentance in the original means taking a second look, another glance at things, looking, getting another view of what's going on. And it's so important that we get a, another look at things because I can't tell you how many times something in my life had gripped me and it set me uh, emotionally. It, it was tying and tugging at my heart and I struggled desperately with it. Struggled desperately to be able to get over the emotion that I was feeling and the mind struggle that I had going on in my mind. And I had to have a second look. I had to have a new look at the cross of Jesus. You know, like every morning we get to pray, I feel like I get a second look. When I get to pray with this feeling of the resurrection is in my life, when I get somebody else that says, hey, James, can you pray for me? It's like, I don't know what your struggle is, but I do know what God can do. And I love it when I get to pray for somebody else because essentially I get to pray the victory that you may not be seeing in the moment. You may not be feeling that sense of victory, but I get to pray that over your life. I get to pray the Word of God in light of that. I get excited to be able to do that. I get excited to be able to pray in that way. I remember with my car when I was working on it, it was the... Ford Expedition. Any of you know a 1997 Ford Expedition? One of the things you'll find out is, is that the way they put that engine in that car makes it so that it's a nightmare for anybody who works on it, especially a backyard mechanic, as myself, just to let you know. Oh, I've worked on my vehicle since I was a teenager, and still I would say I am not a mechanic. I, uh, but I will say this much. I remember when I was there, as I was putting it back together, I had had to take the fuel rails off. And the fuel rail is basically a tube that the fuel goes through and goes into the injector, injects, in, injectors so that it can put fuel into the engine. And I was trying to put it back on, and I pushed it on, and it wouldn't go on. It wouldn't snap back into place. And I pushed, and I put a little hammer on it, and I did everything I could without ruining it. And I was getting uptight about this whole thing. And it was ruining my day. It was ruining my experience. I got into this thing for the fun of it, not for the work of it, right? And I realized there was a whole lot more work involved. And how is it that sometimes you can be doing something and you can repetitively try and get to the place where it feels hopeless? And I was getting into the place, I'm like, I'm not going to get this done. I'm not going to get it figured out. Thankfully, they have a few videos of somebody who did. And so finally, I realized my mistake that I was making is inside the fuel rail is these rubber O-rings. And I had to take the rubber O-ring out of the fuel rail, put the rubber O-ring on top of the fuel injector, then I could put the fuel rail back onto the injectors. And I had to do that four on each side, so that each one of them, so I couldn't just take one. And I realized that I had to have a second look. I had to look one more time and see that what I was feeling, what I was experiencing, what I was knowing, wasn't the full thing that I needed in order to get the job done. And how many of us in life? That's life where we're at. We're going through life trying to put on the fuel rail. And it's just like there's just one little piece here. And it seems like it's so intricate that I'm going to miss the mark. And one time, we got to get to the place where we learn to seek God so we can get a second look. And I love it when I do that. And I'm like, Lord, would you please show me what I got wrong here? 
I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. And within usually a short period of time, there's something that elevates the truth, and now I see. And Jesus made the statement, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. See, when I was living, when I was living outside of Jesus, I needed desperately to know something about Jesus. See, I had heard the church Jesus, even though I didn't go to church very many times. I got the church Jesus, and I got to hear pastors say, Oh, they listened to the Lord. And I was like, and I remember telling my youth pastor, I said, how do you know the voice of God? How do you know that? I'm completely blank on that. I had no experience. I knew what it was like to just live in the drudgery of James's life. And I was sharing with a brother the other day, and I said, I was in such depression, the morbid depression, that I thought it would be great. Even with people recognizing me, I wanted to die for recognition. I wanted people to recognize me in their death. And I dreamed about the idea of people crying at my gravesite. If you never cried for me before, I want you to cry when I'm dead. I remember the morbidity of that kind of thinking. And so you've got to understand, when I needed Jesus in my life, I needed the real Jesus. The religious Jesus wouldn't do. The church Jesus wouldn't get me through. I needed the Jesus and I loved it. I finally found somebody who had the real Jesus in their life. And it wasn't just church Jesus, it was real Jesus. And I remember what was the power of it, was the power of His conversion. How He told about what He was and what God had done and how that had changed Him. And I remember looking at Him like, you're like the model of what my dad was and what Jesus could do for my dad. And I remember looking at it and I was so mesmerized because now the Word of God was becoming alive to me and I'd had another look and I'd looked at a man who'd been saved and a man who'd loved Jesus with his life and he was truly committed and he had the fire and the zeal of that in his life. And it was different. And it was so different that it gave me a whole new view. And I remember finally from that meeting it had inspired me to pray and read my Bible like I had never done. See, I was a lost young, young man. I was going to youth group and I was still hellbound. I was still going to youth group and I didn't know Jesus. But I met this man and from that conversation and the things that he had said, I remember my heart being so changed and I had had a new look of God and I went in and I desperately began to seek the Lord like that Bible was on fire. And I began to look for God like there was no hour that I didn't want to be praying. And I didn't care. And I, somehow my schoolwork got done and I prayed vigorously. And God revealed Himself to me. I got a real revelation of Jesus Christ that took the depression out of my soul, that took the language out of my mouth, that changed me vibrantly. It washed me. It cleansed me. It made me new. And then I knew. I didn't have to have a man telling me. And then I didn't have to have somebody begging me to come to church. I came to church even if I didn't see the same thing I was feeling because I knew something. I knew if they don't have it, then I need to give it. If God has given me something, it's because I got it. And finally, for once in my life, I wasn't that teenager that was struggling to be able to stand up in front of an audience and speak the Word of God. And I came back from a Mexico missions trip and from some time spent with a godly man and some time in the presence of God. And I didn't realize what God was going to do in my life. And that day, there was a miracle that took place. 
and I saw a church full of people and I was sharing my testimony for the first time boldly, boldly sharing it like I had been doing it all my life. And the Word of God was so fresh to me and the Scriptures were coming so alive and I knew that the Spirit of God was stirring things inside of me. And because of that, this day I realized I am no longer the broken teenager that can't speak in front of people. I am now saved. I'm delivered. I'm washed. And it's awesome to have God do those things in your life. And this is what I've learned ever since. We want to live a Christian life. You're putting yourself up for God to do the same thing again tomorrow and 50 years from now. You're not done letting God pour Himself into you. Be an empty vessel every day of your life looking for God to satisfy you as if you'd never had one experience with Jesus and you'll live a vibrant Christian life for the rest of your life. You do it any other way. You may be spending your life rolling around in the ways of religion and never finding the full Jesus. And if you found Him at salvation, you better keep on holding on to Him while you're saved. Hold on to Him. Yeah. Amen. In verse 2. <laughs> verse, verse 9. I know you're like, I'm afraid to interrupt Him. I like what He's saying. <laughs> but I will sacrifice... Never get so caught up in looking to God for yourself that you quit looking at other people. See, Joseph, jo Jonah, Joseph, Jonah's problem. <laughs> it's contagious, let's just say that much. Jonah wouldn't look at Nineveh, but he was looking for God to have mercy on him. And sometimes the only thing that's going to get us to look at our county and our co community differently, to get you to get up out of your, your chair, to go somewhere on your job and go minister to somebody, is because you realize, for, again, afresh, how much God has done for you. Never just get caught up in looking for yourself. Jonah verse 2.9, he says, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. Do you notice the moment he says that? Right after he says that, what happens? What happens? Immediately, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Quit trying to paint God's salvation your way, and just look at it for what it is. He ends his prayer on this, and then once we see this, his present hardship did not blind him to his present salvation. Stop getting locked up in the emotional problems and remember that God is for you. Oh, please, my brothers and sisters, listen to me. God wants your victory more than you want your victory. God wants you more out of sin than you want out of sin. God wants you more living in a prayer life like you've never known in your life than you want it. Sometimes you ask God for things and He's like, you don't want it as badly as I want it for you. Oh, realize that today. And so that moment, God says, this is your release moment, Jonah, that you realize salvation is from Me. The Lord is my salvation and my light. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I hear that. I will look up into the hills from whence comes my salvation. My help comes from the Lord. Maker of heaven and earth. And you got to live those scriptures. they got to be a part of the fabric of your soul. And when you live that out, you see it. 
then you get vomited out of hell itself. The devil can't hold you in his belly. There isn't anything from darkness that can keep you down when you learn to have faith in God. I may be going through cancer and you can say like the Hebrew men, the Lord has the power to deliver me. He can get me out of this and He can keep me in it. We can, we can be saved from the fire or He can leave us in it. It doesn't matter to me because He's going to get the glory in the end. If I die of this disease, I get to go be with God. What have I been struggling with anyway? I'll tell you this, there's not a day, there's not a day in the eternity of heaven where cancer will ever be in one person's body. Right? When you have immortal bodies, you're never going to have a cancer in one of them. Some of us who are getting old enough, we're like, I'm looking forward to having an immortal body. So we need to... We need to stop grieving over the struggles of this life. And I love that song. One glimpse. One glimpse of Him in glory. In His glory. In all of His fullness. Will all the toils of life repay. I don't know what you've gone through. Through your relationships. I don't know what you've been through. In the hardships of the way people treat I don't even know what your church devastation has been. And how people have done you wrong. Through church experience, the people of God who should be loving you have done you wrong. I don't know. But I can still say the same thing. That Jesus will make sure that all of it gets changed. He gives the reward. Final. Hold true to the end. Keep your faith. Don't give up. Walk with God to the day you die. And you will see what it's all about when it's all said and done. Oh, isn't it a glorious thought that one day, oh, though this body perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And I love how the Spirit of God gives you such an assurance that it's like you got it right now. Things haven't physically changed, but like I got it right now. And I love uh, Abraham. Man, I got the Scriptures flowing through me in the moment, but I'm going to close. I promise I'll close. Abraham, it says that he was not weak in faith, giving God the glory. And he was fully persuaded, even though these things were not as though they were. He was fully persuaded. Because that what God had promised, he was fully persuaded that he would do it. And when Abraham was about a hundred years old, and God had promised him he would have a son, he would literally physically hold an Isaac in his arms, that he wasn't holding him yet, and he'd gone through almost of his lifetime, and he lived to be 175 years old. He had 75 years more of life left. Most of us thought it's about exhaustion, but at a hundred years old. But he believed the promise of God. And it was at that moment, it says it was counted to him for righteousness. You want to hear me say this? I'm going to say it. God gave you a promise. You better believe it because that's where righteousness is. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And yet I don't believe in one of his promises. That's not righteousness. That's sin. That's sin. But Jesus gave me a promise. And if he gives you a promise for healing, if he gives you a promise that he's going to bring deliverance and salvation to your family, if he gives you a promise for anything, it is your duty. Your absolute duty to believe in that promise. And don't waver on it because God will fulfill it in His time. And we have enough testimonies and validation from this Bible, outside of this Bible and all around us, to validate that God is faithful. God is so faithful. And I love what He's going to do. So church, are you with me? We're going to start exalting the faithfulness of God in everyday life. And we're going to see Him ex exasperate us. It says, one more, one more verse. I promise you, one more verse. <laughs> Nobody's going to have more fun. Nobody's going to have more fun than me preaching than I know. 
said he will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. It's above your wildest dreams. You can't imagine it deep enough. I want you to hear that this morning. Start believing God for things. Start, stop looking at the, you know, let's stop playing, let's start, stop living our life like we're playing country music backwards. I mean, forward. I lost, like we're playing country music forward. I lost, I lost my dog, I lost my truck, I lost, let's start living Christian life like we're playing it backwards and start believing for what God said. I think the most miserable thing is the condition of a church that doesn't really take Jesus at His word. And let me say one other thing. It's not about optimism. Optimism is saying, I'm making the best of a bad situation. Oh, man is good at heart, but he does some bad things. No, man is bad at heart. He does some awful things. No, it's not optimism. It goes way beyond optimism because we're looking at a world in its real condition. And we're believing God for His his omnipotent power to meet a world in an awful condition. And God's going to do it. Amen? Let's pray together. I want to ask you, this moment you may feel in your heart, I feel a tug of the Holy Spirit on my heart to come to that altar. I feel the Holy Spirit anointing me to come pray. I don't know why, but I am. And I'm going to give the call to you to come pray. While I'm praying, you just come. You can come right at this moment. God wants to do something in this place. He's not done with the miracle working. We've been preached to. Now we get to believe God to do some more miracles. We've had some prayers prayed this morning. I want you to start dreaming up and thinking about and imagining God actually giving us the things we prayed for. Expectancy, and we'll see miracles in this place. Hallelujah. Father, thank you that we are not just about hype, but I am going to be hyped about the Word of God because I know that it's real. And Lord, right now, I just pray as people come forward, as they begin to minister to you as you have ministered to them, oh, Holy Spirit, right now we ask you to validate your Word by doing deeper things in our spirit God, we want to communicate with you this morning. We want to be where you are, Father, and we love what the Holy Spirit is doing. So, Father, every bondage that we've carried into this place, every heartache that belongs to you, every weight on our spirit, Lord, it belongs to you right this moment. We are going to surrender it to the Spirit of God. Lord, this is your moment with us, and we ask you to do miracles in our spirits and in our hearts as we get ready to share our time together in potluck. We love, Father, that the Holy Spirit is giving us the bread of heaven. Oh, and for every hungry heart, Lord, just satisfy us today and make us more hungry for you. And we just love you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. Amen.